as you're finding your page. I'm Casey Reyes. I get to lead the women here. Um, it's the best in the world. Um, we're on page 572, so let's read together. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. Like Josh said, my name is Jimmy. Uh, I oversee the uh, youth group here, which is the junior high and high schoolers, so this front row is mine. Uh, but if they shriek, yell, I cannot be held responsible for that. Uh, I'm super excited to be here today, and I'm very thankful for the opportunity to preach. Uh, I'm thankful for Josh to has coached me um, and given me this opportunity. And you should all be thankful for Josh because my first practice run was an hour and a half long. And he's like, bro, you got to cut some of this out. And I was just like, well, I'm just trying to commandeer the 1045 too, so... Uh, but if you haven't been with us, we're in this series in Colossians, and all Colossians is is this letter that this guy Paul is writing to this church in a place called Colossae, uh, giving them some wisdom as they begin a new uh, life together as a church. And in this church specifically, there's some things happening that Paul is addressing uh, very specifically. Some of these things are false teaching, segregation of groups, surrounding cultural influence that shouldn't be in the church. And just overall, with new Christian believers, there's just some new problems that come up. So they look to Paul, who's mature in his faith, to give him some guidance. And that's what brings us to our passage today, which you just heard Casey read so eloquently. And uh, as we come to this passage, I think sometimes there's a little hesitation right off the bat because it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just sounded like a bunch of do's and don'ts. It just sounded like a bunch of rules. Aren't we just like supposed to be loving Jesus here? right? And the answer to that is yes, and Paul is using that pas this passage to just elaborate on that a bit. And so um, last week's passage, if you hear, set this up very perfectly. In that passage, it says this, that we are to seek the things above and set your minds on the things above. And so continuing on with that thought, Paul's just elaborating on that. And that's where we get to get some of these more specific, some of these do's, some of these don'ts. And this general idea, and it's not just for rules sake that Paul is kind of setting these guidelines, but it's all moving towards something specific. What it's moving towards, 
um, and this is my big idea today, is that we should all be in harmony with one another. And we do this in two ways. And if you've been around the church, you've probably heard this. We love God well, and we love people well. And the idea of harmony isn't even just a church concept. Uh, if, you have, if you're in the business world, if you're in different organizations, even for teams, of, uh, sports teams, other teams, this idea of harmony, everyone being on the same page as a base, is just kind of a general like, consensus, like, yes, everyone needs to be on the same page. So we're going to break this passage down. We're going to talk specifically about how Paul is encouraging us to love people, how he's encouraging us and the church in Colossae to love God well. Um, and so we have these two main points, love God, love people. These also come out of Matthew 22, where Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he answers with these two. So we'll tease this out a bit, but let me pray to begin our time together. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, and I just thank you for this long weekend, God, that we can all um, enjoy. God, with everything happening in the world, I just pray that you uh, pause our hearts, pause our minds for a second so we can hear what you have to say to us. God, because I believe that loving you and loving people will determine um, how the church does in this world, God, and we just want to do it so well for your glory. So be with us, speak through me in this time. In your name we pray, amen. So again, I want to acknowledge that sometimes this passage can begin to feel like a bunch of rules and everything. And I want to challenge that again by saying it's not like the focus on this passage is not just each of these individual rules. It's not about checking a list saying, I did this, I didn't do this, I did this, I didn't do this. But there's an overall flow pointing to, uh, of all these all do's and don'ts, pointing to a main message, right? In this case, it's loving God and loving people. And additionally, we need some rules and guidelines in life in order to, like, coexist with people. Um, the one time, the only one time, that I was ever sent to the principal's office was in fourth grade, because we were playing a game at recess that had no rules whatsoever. The idea of the game was there's one single ball, there's about 50,000 kids, and your goal is to be the one that has the ball. And so you do whatever. You rip the ball out of people's hands, you might throw a puncher or something like that. And so like little fourth grade Jimmy's running around the recess and everything and may have punched, tried to punch the ball, accidentally punched his friend, and you end up in the principal's office. And I'm like, well, it's, there's no rule that says I can't do that. Right? So we need some rules and guidelines in life to live well. And I think sometimes in uh, the church, um, there comes up this thought of like, well, if we're supposed to do these things and not do, the, and not do some other things, like, why doesn't God just make us do that? And the image I have is um, one that shows like the grace and love of Jesus and through it all. And to kind of um, tease us out a little bit, right? It's a choice, and there's grace and love in giving us that choice. And so, like, the image I think of is my dad just got this brand new car. It's this Hyundai Santa Fe. It's the safest car on the planet, according to a commercial, so it must be true. Um, and he's, like, learning how to drive this car, and it's driving him insane right now. Uh, it's not a self-driving car, but it's what I call a safe-driving car. And so, like, some of the things that happens is, like, if he stopped at a stoplight and, like, the car in front of him pulls away, like, within 0.2 seconds, it's beeping at him, like, hey, you need to leave, like, go, the light's green. There's other things where if he doesn't put a blinker on and he starts kind of 
uh, drifting into a different lane, the steering wheel will actually like auto-correct him a little bit to go straight into the steering wheel. And it's like driving him insane. And so, but it's not a self-driving car, remember? Yeah, it's not a self-driving car, remember? So he still has the power to drift into that lane if he wanted to. There might be a little nudge not to, a little resistance, but he can overtake it. And just because the car is beeping at him when the other car leaves, it doesn't mean that he has to go. He's still in control. So I just want to kind of keep that image in our mind as we dive in. So we're going to dive in, uh, starting with verse 5, going through verse 7. And these uh, include some of the do not do these things. Verse 5 says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, uh, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Pause. So we look at this list of things, and not even us sitting here in church, but I would assume a lot of people in the world would kind of look at this list and be like, yeah, these seem like big no-nos. Some of the sexual immorality, impurity, um, idolatry. It's not like too far-fetched to say maybe living with these isn't such a good idea. And so Paul puts like words to strength here and says, put to death these things. Don't let them even, you know, catch a glimpse of your life. And uh, also to make a note in this, when we think about passion, the word passion, it's not the passion that like we have for sports teams. It's not the passion we have watching like a, one of our child children play, something like that. But it's a lustful passion, right? It goes into the idea of co- covetousness and idolatry. And so what are we putting to death? We're putting earthly things away, which is another way that Paul is saying these are the old things. These are the things before Christ that you were indulging in. And sometimes it's hard to accept that these are old ways because the current culture around us sometimes says, actually, these ways are okay. They're fine. You do you. It's okay. And it's not always even explicitly saying that, but it it works its way into our lives in sort of a sneaky way sometimes, right? So there's like kind of the explicit material of like sexual immorality, impurity, those sorts of things. But then there's like this other sector of social media or like television where it's like, well, it's okay to watch that stuff. And I would just challenge that and say like, is it okay to watch that stuff? Maybe, maybe not. I'm not the one to set that straight. But I think the question we all need to be asking ourselves is how is that forming us, right? If I'm reading a book even, right, because sometimes that's the one that gets lost. If I'm reading a book that's making me feel a certain way or experience something or think a certain way about other people around me? Is that good for me in my life? Does that help me love others well? Can I love my neighbor well when all I see is their brand new car, a perfect lawn, perfect family, and all I do is envy it? Can I love a coworker well when all I see them is the next stepping stool for me to climb up higher in the company? Can I love my wife, my girlfriend, a spouse well if I'm looking at photos or videos that I know I shouldn't be, whether they're explicit online or whether it's just like a TV show that probably isn't the best for me. And there's a temptation here for me specifically to revert to like my middle school self, and I don't think it's just me that has this temptation at times, but I would venture to say some of us feel this temptation is like we want to ask, okay then, what is the line and how close can I get to it? 
right? And I want to caution us with that again. And Paul's saying, like, just put these things to death. Like, don't even worry about the line. Try to get as far away from the line as possible. And again, our cultural kind of mixes that, like, well, the line's kind of fuzzy and it just kind of depends, things like that. And there's that explicit material, well, don't do that. But now then culture raises up this other material that does a very similar thing. And the thing that comes to my mind uh, is really I have a bone to pick with HBO at times. There's some good shows and then some shows where it's just like, what is happening here? And like the one that comes to mind specifically right now is this one that everyone's told me to watch. It's called Euphoria. Don't know if you've seen it or not. Um, And I had friends that were like, oh, it's like great. It has like social commentary on what kids are going through these days, things like that. And one, I have so many shows to watch. I'm like, I don't have time for that. Um, But finally, like I was bored one night and I'm like, okay, well, I I guess like I'm with junior hires and high schoolers. Maybe I should watch this show. I could not even get six minutes into it because it is just so much, it's so much drugs, so much sex, and not even just talking about it, it's like all there in front of you. But because it's on a streaming platform that all you need to do is, you know, just log into, our culture around us says, actually, it's okay, it's not too bad. But like, I saw it, and I'm just like, how different is that from me just logging onto a website that I shouldn't? So we have to be continually asking, how are these things forming us? And is this, specifically, is this helping me love the people around me? And I would assume that Paul is saying no to those things. And that's why he's saying put to death. He's saying put to death for a reason. And then in verse 7, we're reminded of there's grace in all of this, right? Because even though we're putting these things to death, we're imperfect people. They may come up. It's okay. But he says this, In these you too once walked when you were living in them. So it's a reminder that we've all been here before. And so for those of us who might still uh, fall into some of these in this list, I just want to tell you that that's the old you. It doesn't have to be the forever you, though. And for those of us who have been made new, who have accepted Christ, maybe we're doing well in a season where these things aren't a part of our life, we're still reminded that we were once there, and it's not due to us that we can puff up our chest and say, oh, that's the old me, it's fine. But it's only by the grace of God we can do that. Let's continue on into verse 8. It says this, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So all these things are put away, not necessarily put to death, so a different kind of restriction. And as we look at this list, we're probably like, okay, well, sometimes I get angry. Maybe I don't always have the most pure language in the world. But just because they don't seem to be as critical as that first list doesn't mean they can't be as destructive, right? And it also, the question comes up like, if we continue to allow these things to happen, how is that forming us, right? Formation is going to be kind of key in this passage. But to just touch on this really quickly, I want to say like, When we meet in youth, we always have this time of kind of going through highs and lows, checking in, how's everyone's week? And without fail, anytime we talk about the lows, or sometimes we do peaks, valleys, so valleys, anytime we talk about the low, there's always at least one kid, usually two or three, that what they say is like, you know what the worst part of my week was? Was one of my friends called me fat. Or someone said I was stupid, right? All it is is words. It's not like anything on that first list. But when you just like hear them say that and when you like see the pain in their eyes from that, 
you realize like that is just as destructive. And so we have to think, even if we let these things go on, what do they breed in us and what do they breed in those that um, are around us? If we let our words continue to slide and we kind of be like, oh, it's fine, I just won't say it next time, I won't say it next time, and we do that a thousand times over, how soon do we become the person that just tears apart the people around us? Cussing at them, telling them everything we know that will hurt them. Or uh, if we let anger build up in each other and just continue to build up all the way from a little kid and all the way um, to your, when you're an adult, and I'm sure some of these people may exist in your workplace. Like, do you just have the people that just rage and throw fits, even as adults, just to get what they want? And it's because anger's just always been okay for them. And it can be even more critical if we let wrath and anger partner together, uh, grow together and everything. How soon does that person become abusive, whether that's spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically? Right? I think this is an example of some of these things are um, an example of where the world would kind of shrug it off, say, well, those things aren't good, but it's not the worst thing in the world, so we're fine. But if we're the church and we're in the business of truly loving people, being in harmony with people, I think this is one of the uh, times Paul is saying, like, we should take this seriously and we need to put these things away. Continuing on into verse 9 through 11, it says this, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So right, it just comes up, are you wearing a mask? and pretending to live in this way, or are you walking the walk? Do you really love people, and do your actions show it? And just think for yourselves, do you have people in your life that will just continually say, like, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, but their actions never show it. Nothing ever backs it up. And then on the other side, do you have people in your life that their actions are just so loud in saying they love you that they don't even have to say it? Like, we like to hear it, but, like, the way they live with us shows us they love us. Uh, Paul is making this clear. The old self is gone. The new self has come. And again, it may begin sounding like a lot for us. Maybe begin saying like, wow, this is a lot to do or I have a lot of work to do. But Paul wants the the church to know that it's not in our own willpower to make any of this happen. But he says this, that we're being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. We're created to be this way. And it's not just you doing, but it's God transforming you to love others. And there's this quote um, from Kevin DeYoung that really uh, sets this up well. Says this, If I had to summarize New Testament ethics in one sentence, here's how I'd put it. Be who you are. That may sound strange, almost heretical, given our culture's emphasis on being true to yourself. But like so many of the worst heirs in the world, This one represents a truth powerfully perverted. When people say, relax, you were born that way, or quit trying to be something you're not and just be the real you, they are stumbling upon something very biblical. Here's where it gets good. God does want you to be the real you. He does want you to be true to yourself. 
But the you he's talking about is the you that you are by grace and not by nature. You may want to read that last sentence again. It's the you that you are by grace and not by nature because the difference between living in sin and living in righteousness depends on getting that last sentence right. God doesn't say, relax, you were born this way, but he does say, good news, you were reborn another way. I just think that quote just like beautifully illustrates that. And so, just so we're all on the same page, we're not just going to leave here, again, have a list of things we need to do, Saturday, Sunday errands, you have a day off tomorrow, all these errands, you're going to do these things, right? Uh, but God wants to join a partnership with you to make this change in your life. And we'll get a little bit more into that, but Paul ends this section with some uh, beautiful words. He says, Christ is all and in all. And every time I've heard that saying so far, all I can think of is a Ted Lasso character by the name of Danny Rojas, who runs around the football field, football pitch. Um, and when I say football, I'm talking soccer. It's in England, right? So there's that whole thing. And he's, but he's this guy. He's running around. He's always like, football is life, right? And that's like, anytime it's like, Danny, how's it going? Football is life, man. And it's just, it's so great. And he's just always so enthusiastic, so joyful. He's running around. He loves football so much. And you can tell, like, the goal of his life is to enjoy football to its fullest. And as he does that, as he's running around saying football is life, has a giant smile on his face, his teammates, as the series go on, kind of, like, start to buy into, like, maybe football is life, right? And so it goes on, and all these teammates all of a sudden are, like, on the same page with him. Like, football is life. They have joy in that. And their life is dedicated to making that a reality. And I just think, like, what if we in the church were like that? Like, Christ is all and in all. And what if we had joy in that? What if that was our life's goal? To make that, like, the truest thing that we say to one another. And as we do that, how does that invite other people into our lives? And other people into the church saying, you know what? Christ is all and in all. And in that, I find joy, I find peace. Right? When we believe that Christ is all, we begin to start looking at people differently. We begin to love them. We begin to love them differently, maybe for the first time. And overall, we don't view them as an other or a dangerous person. Now we move on to the uh, things that we are to put on the dues of this passage. In verses 12 through 13, it says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Now Paul kind of has a pause here really quick. And say, after going through this long section of being like, hey, don't do this, don't do this, these are old ways, has a pause, and he wants to remind the church of what their true identity. And their true identity is this, Right? It's that they're chosen, they're chosen to be in an intimate relationship with God. They're holy and beloved. And all that's saying is God wants to be in relationship with you to make all of this happen. And again, there's a choice for us in this. Paul says put on, so no, he's not saying you will put on, but there's a choice of put on. And the choice is do we want to live in harmony with others? And specifically as we read through kind of the list all I can think about is that these are just like perfect descriptors of who Jesus is. And it's a reminder that Jesus did come to die on the cross for us, did come to save our sins. 
But one of the things Jesus also came to do was show us how to live well and love others perfectly. And so we're just going to go through that list really quick. The first one, compassion, is talking about our acting hearts. Um, even if you don't want to do something, if you have compassion for some, someone, you do it because you love them, even if it's the last thing you want to do. So Jesus is with these crowds, not really sure, he's not really sure like what they're doing. They're kind of just following him around, but he has compassion on them, so he feeds them. And then kindness, which can also be called goodness and uprightness. It's not just being nice, like, oh, I'm just going to be nice and pleasant. But Jesus is kind to continue in relationship with people around him. The people that don't get it, the people that he would say are his closest friends that frustrate him because he's, they're busy, like, cutting people's ears off, right? He's kind and wants to be in relationship with us despite our own shortcomings. And then there's humility, and Christ shows this in being a human, while he's fully God, Christ has humbles himself to be a human and live among us. And then meekness, which is uh, also gentleness. I think of the story of when the disciples are kind of shooing away the kids from, um, kids from Jesus, and Jesus says, no, 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 let them come to me, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. He's gentle. Patience, this all also goes back to kind of the kindness with the disciples especially, He's, they're always kind of coming and being like, Jesus, like, what are you doing again? What are you doing again? What, you, what was that parable about? I didn't really get it. And instead of just being like, oh, I told you guys a thousand times, Jesus is like, let me tell you. And usually he says it in another parable, but he's patient, right? <laughs> he still wants to engage in that relationship with them. Bearing with one another, uh, we see this when Lazarus dies, Jesus' friend. And even though the ultimate end of that story is that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he doesn't just walk in, raise Lazarus, move on. But he mourns, he weeps, he's with his friends and family around him, and takes a moment to mourn his friend's death before that moment. And then forgiving others, I think we can agree that the cross is the greatest example of forgiveness that we've ever witnessed. So Jesus did these things and he drew others near to him. And Paul is saying, if we do these things as well, we will draw others near to us. We'll love them well. Moving on into verse 14. We're getting there. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So he says, put on love, right? This whole message is moving others towards love. Moving us towards love, loving other people. And I always have this great image of, like, what if, like, we just loved so well? And maybe it's a great image, but I think it is. I always think of the Dark Knight, best Batman ever. <laughs> Can fight me on that one. But at the very beginning of the movie, uh, we were introduced to the Scarecrow and, like, some of his henchmen or whatever they're called, side bad guys, <laughs> sidekicks, things like that. And they're doing something bad, right? They're the bad people. And all of a sudden, this dark figure appears, starts fighting them, and you're watching the movie, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is Batman. And even, like, the henchmen are like, oh, this is Batman. And uh, camera kind of zooms out, and you see a Batman-looking type figure, but you're like, there's something wrong about this guy. He's wearing more, like, tights and not, like, the body armor sort of thing going on. And even as the fight engages, at first, the Batman is, like, doing well, and then there's also a question of like, okay, is there one Batman? There's three Batmans. What's happening? It's like the Spider-Man meme where they're all pointing at each other. 
There's like five of them, right? And all of a sudden, these Batmans also start getting taken out by the henchmen. And the Scarecrow, who's the main bad guy of the past movie, right? He's like, that's, that's not him. There's something about these guys that there's, that's not Batman, right? And the Scarecrow is the furthest thing for Batman. He's the bad guy. But so the scene goes on, looks like the bad guys are going to win. But then the true Dark Knight comes. Christian Bale in action comes in. Starts kicking butt, fighting everyone, ends up like tying them all together and everything. But when he makes his big entrance, the scarecrow has this line that I'm just like, ooh. He's just like, there he is. And I just take that sort of scene. I think like, if we loved well as Christians, would we be out in the world with people that are so far from Christ that they have a moment of like, they see us love and they're like, that's Christ's love. Like, that's different, you know. There's something different about the facades. There's something different about this other fake love. But, like, when I see Christians love well, there's something different about that, and I notice that. Right? So it's a choice for us to live in harmony. It's a choice for us to love others. We can't, even here at church, we can't begin doing all these things, all these programs, all these ministries, all these service projects well if we're not in harmony here. Again, right, it's just even a business principle. But if we're loving others well, and Paul has put some kind of nudges, guidelines in place for us to do this, we're building a strong base for this. So in order to love people well, we must also love God well. And here's where the Christian message begins to differ from things uh, like self-help and other messages you hear out in the world. Self-help will give you a list of do's and don'ts like we've had, but the whole self-help message is like, all right, I gave you the rule book, you go do, right? Even like weight loss programs, like 72 hard or whatever that one is, right? It's like, here's what you need to do, just like go do it, and that's it. Christianity will give you some do's and don'ts, some guidelines, but instead of you doing it all, Jesus actually offers up the opportunity to take his hand, and he says to us, let me show you how to do it. There's a partnership available to us. But like my dad with his safety car, um, there's a choice. So he can choose to drive outside the guidelines of what is safe, but there's also a risk in saying that if he does that, he might not be safe. For us, there's a choice to not live within these guidelines of what it means to love others well, but if we live outside those guidelines, we might not be loving others at all. And as my, in the same way my dad as my dad listens to his safety car, what I call it, safe car, driving car. I don't like safety car. <laughs> Sorry, I was watching F1 this morning. Uh, safe driving car, he becomes a safer driver because he can anticipate, okay, I need to be in the lane, I need to leave, right? And as we listen to these messages, this message of the do's and don'ts, these guidelines that are shaping us, we'll begin loving others well more naturally. So find me in verses 15 and 16, it says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, rich, sorry, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So my first observation, and we have two lets here. In verse 15, uh, when it says let, it's not just this kind of like let, 
happen. Just tolerate it. It's going to happen. But the, per, the sense here is that it's to let it factor decisively into your life. So what are we letting factor decisively into our life? The peace of Christ. The peace of Christ that joins with us in one body and this non-anxious presence that Jesus carries is now available to us every single day. For me, that's good news. I can be a very anxious person at times. Sometimes it's debilitating. Sometimes it's paralyzing. And all I have in those moments sometimes is just to rely on, like, Jesus, like, you got this. Like, I legitimately can't do anything. And then on the other side, there's times where that peace is just so palpable, so noticeable in my life that there's nothing you can really explain it with. And maybe some of you have felt that, right? But that's the offer we have today. And it says to be thankful for that. And if you've experienced that peace, it's like no wonder you have to be thankful. It's hard not to be thankful if you've experienced that. In verse 16, this lets a little bit different. Um, when it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, this is a similar let. Um, that would be like, let the Holy Spirit dwell in you. So if we let the word dwell in you, um, how do we do this? Well, it's everything that we're doing here today, right? We're teaching, we're singing hymns, singing songs. We have thankfulness in our hearts to God. As we come every week and do these things, we're kind of forming ourselves to loving God more. And so this presents, there's a let dynamic, right? Something that's being done outside of us. And there's a do not dynamic, something that we're doing. We're actively participating in. We're not just standing here at church aimlessly, kind of just like, let it happen to me. But we're leaning in, right? We sing along. We pray, we lament. We hopefully listen to the message, right? We read scripture together. And this leaning in is a surrendering. And what do you need to surrender perfectly? You need peace and you need the spirit of God to surrender. So I urge you, let yourself be in harmony with Christ. And finally, verse 17 says this, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there's work to be done, but it doesn't happen overnight. There's an element of we need to hike up our boots and take action, but we're not alone. God desires to be in harmony with us. He desires to love us and have us love him. Because if we do that well, we'll begin to love others well, be in greater harmony with them. And if the message of self-help is you do it all, the message of Christianity is Jesus say, let me show you and help you to do it. I have one last image about this, and then we'll close. Uh, my dad and I were working on the bathroom the other day. Uh, my parents are renovating their house, and we have these electrical wires that are hanging out of a socket, and there have been a few times someone has gotten zapped, and we're like, okay, let's do something about this, hopefully, before, you know, it really goes bad. And my dad was just about to take them, kind of shove them back in the socket. Oh, like, cover them, shove them back in the socket. And uh, he just turns to me, and it was just this really sweet moment where he just looked at me, and he's just like, I wish, like, I could call Pops in this moment because he know exactly what to do. Pops is his dad, my grandfather, who passed away a few years ago, um, and he kind of continues on, and he's like, I know exactly what he'd say. He'd just be like, what are you doing? You already know what to do. Like, tape them up, shove them back in there, go on with your day, right? 
So my dad knows the knowledge. He knows what to do. But he still desires to talk to his dad about it. He wanted to lean into a better way of doing it. And maybe a more efficient way, right? He wanted to lean into the one who had more knowledge in it and more know-how. But more importantly, he wanted to lean into that relationship. And that's the better way. That's the opportunity for us in this passage is that even if we think in our own strength we can leave here, do all these things, not do some of these other things, there's a better way. There's work for us to do, but there's also a God who desires to be in relationship with you, even if we think we know the way. He's just waiting for us to lean in, to surrender to him. He's waiting for us to take up that hand and say, you know what, I will have you show me. And when we enter into that relationship, that one is a, one of true harmony, and it has nothing to do with our ability, but it has everything to do with Jesus' perfect love. If we lean into that and enter that into relationship, we'll experience true harmony with God, loving him well. We'll begin to love others well, experience true harmony with them. Uh, as I went through this passage, there was two questions that I kind of wrestled with that um, I hope you get a chance to think about this week at some point, right? So we have these two big points, love God, love people, maybe not like that catastrophically new. Uh, but the, the two questions I have are these. The first one is, do I love God? So not too different than the first one. The second one changes it up a little bit, though, is do I love God in such a way that it just propels me to love others so well, right? It expands a little bit. So I just encourage you, if you have an opportunity, think about those questions, maybe journal about it, and think, if we do this well, if we get this right, if we love God, love others well, how will that put us in harmony? Let's pray. Uh, dear Jesus, thank you so much for this letter to a church thousands of miles away, God, in ancient history and time, but also a letter that's for us this morning at this moment. Thank you that you give us guidelines and show us the areas in which we need to uh, be better in order to love you and love others around us well. Um, but God, we're even more thankful for the opportunity that you give us to just be in relationship with you through it all. Um, I just pray for us as we go about our weeks that we seek those opportunities to love you better, to love others well. And just be with us as we go on throughout our day. Be in our world and be with us the rest of this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.